Hello, John. Hey, hey, how's it going? Good to hear from you. Yeah, feels like I just saw you a few days ago. You did, actually, and I am, (laughs) uh, you know, dealing with the tsunami of things that hits you while you're gone for 10 days. It's super exciting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, my dryer went on the fritz today, so I have the great joy of going to Lowe's later to buy a new dryer. Great. Yeah. It's always something, isn't it? (laughs) Dude, I'm telling you. You know, we bought like Kenmore Elite, I don't know, like five years ago, because at the time they were the number one rated by Consumer Reports, right? Right. But literally we bought it and then Sears went belly up and Kenmore is no more like right after we bought it, like two months later. Yeah, they were just trying to get rid of inventory. Well, no, we didn't. We didn't even get them on sale. We got. We paid like regular price for them because my wife was, you know, hey, it's number one rated, and then they went belly up. Yeah, there so, you go. Um, that's what happens. Yeah. Speaking of that, that's a good segue into another topic that I've been wanting to hit, and that is uh, obsolescence of products. And we've seen that happen with a couple product lines as of recently. Yeah, that's that uh, are probably coming to an end here shortly in the concrete yes. industry. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess yeah. always do your research and see see how long somebody's going to be around. You know, me and you are in it for the long haul, but that's not always the case. Well, until I sell out and then, you know, buy my island out in the, I don't know. I, don't, I can't even come up with a place for an island. My I'm an island, island would, yeah. boy. <laughs> I'm going to be an island boy. What <laughs> I could afford is going to be some stamp. It's going to be like when a final... Uh, volcano erupts and just leaves a little bit of something for me to stand on. That's about all I'm end up with, but that's all right. That's all right. When that's you say right. stamp, you mean like tramp stamp, like a dolphin tramp stamp? What are you thinking? Uh, no, mine would be more just like a, a big, uh, a rose. Mm. Cause I smell that's so it. sweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, every rose has its thorn, John. I don't know if you heard that song. That's right. True. Yeah. That was a good song. Yeah, good, song. A good song. Yeah. Story of my life. Yeah. So true. So <laughs> I think, you know, this week we're going to talk to Rob. He's up in, how do you say his last name? Rob Ward? Ward? Wired? I just call, yeah, no, I just called him Ward. Ward? It was spelled W I A R D, but I'm not sure. Wired, I think. Wired. Um, I'm just going to go with Ward. It's like uh, that re- spelling we came up for Wilhelmina, and it's just, Wilma. Wilma. I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, regardless, Rob was in the class we held last week, the Pinnacle Concrete Camp, but he faces some unique challenges because he's in Alaska, in Homer, Alaska. So <clears throat> we're going to touch base with him. He's going to be our guest today. Unfortunately, yeah. just to give you a heads up, I have Zoom preschool today. That's another benefit of having my studio where my house is, is I get to hop over there and help out with stuff. So it's going to be a short interview with Rob when we get to that point, unfortunately, because I have to do the Zoom preschool thing. But me and you have some time to chat before that. So, Yeah, but good for you. I mean, right? You're finally sitting down and learning something. And I mean, it's a bummer that it's your shapes, your daughter that's, you know, having to show (laughs) you how to do things, but (laughs) soft, hard, uh, (laughs) you know, all all these different things. It's a lot of fun. It is actually a lot of fun. What I was going to say is I think we mean you should start the podcast this week because it's been two weeks since we've done one because we had the Pinnacle Concrete Camp, but we right. should start the podcast with a recap of the last week, what we've been doing. Yeah, that was fun. I mean, you know, this this last week was fun. We started off the week. Anybody who's listening, I went out there early. We worked on some soon, and I don't know what soon means, soon to be released product videos. So that's pretty Probably cool. Probably next week. He's okay. almost done with them. The videographer is almost done. We've just been working on music selection. So I sent him a bunch of ideas. Acid jazz was my first idea. Then I went hmm. Middle Eastern because I thought that was pretty rad. And then I ended up on Mediterranean because I like flamenco. But I think we came full circle back to acid jazz. So these are the things that you go through when you're doing video tutorials. So I was thinking more meatloaf or One Direction. It can't have any, it can't have any uh, words in it because we have audio. Oh, that's we have right. Uh, 
Yeah, so yeah. it's got to be, and also it's got to be royalty-free music, which is a whole other pain in the butt because, right. you know, whatever. Yeah, no, so that was great. We got uh, got some days done then, got a lot of work done. They were, they were super busy days. And then we had a class full of attendees on Monday. And boy, that's when things really start spiraling. You know, that's when it really gets busy. <laughs> Spiraling, I don't think it was the right choice of words. That's what, uh, what? I mean, it's like a maybe spiral is not the right word, but I mean, it just that's when crazy town hits. You know, you get yeah. these everybody's so eager. Um, it's super exciting. I love all that. I love sharing. I love, you know, um, meeting the new people and, and then watching their eyes glaze over as, you know, tons of information comes their way and hands on and, no, it's so it's I mean it's it's great. It really is great. Well, I think the eyes glazing over is more when you take over and start discussing something. Yeah, I gotta learn not to put the three-dimensional models of organic structures yeah. together. Because when I talk, <laughs> people are people are hanging on every word when I speak. Yeah. But when you talk, you know, people are falling asleep. Yeah. It's it's yeah, totally over in the corner. Dynamic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Crying, crying. <laughs> Enough. A lot of sobbing. Enough. But in all seriousness, the class was amazing. It was such a good class from, I think, both sides of the spectrum. From the attendee side, they learned a ton. And from our side, me, you, and Dusty, the trainer side, the class was a very, very just, they were chill. They were engaging they would jump in, hey, we need some volunteers. Everybody yeah. was hands-on, which makes it for a very fun class for us no when question. people are engaged and, and want to help out. So, But just as a whole, I mean, we went out, we got dinner some nights, we had a huge fire and cooked hot dogs and drank beer. Mm-hmm. And just as a whole, just socializing outside of the class mm-hmm. was a lot of fun. So it was just fun getting to know everybody. And I really enjoyed last week those classes are exhausting from the trainer's viewpoint because we're on the whole time. So we're answering questions and thinking 10 steps ahead and all that kind of stuff. That being said, when we have a class like that, it really makes us enjoy what we do. It was a lot of fun. And we did something fun. We put the concrete pieces to a whole different test, the test that we don't really do with everything. Meaning. So we, you know, shot them up with your 4570. That was pretty cool. True. Yeah. Well, hold on. Before we go past that, I want to discuss that real quick. Uh-huh. So years ago, years ago, <clears throat> when I first started doing GFRC, I made a sample tile and I took it out in the desert in Arizona and I shot it with a 223, which is essentially an AR-15. It's the, the modern round of the U.S. military. And it just pierced a hole in it. And it blew my mind, right? Now, it had little fractures off the hole, but it didn't shatter into a thousand pieces. If I had shot quickcrete, There'd be nothing left. Yeah. Right. It's like it explodes. A, yeah. It is. But a 223 is is a very it's a it's a high energy round, but it's a very small round, so it pierces. But a 4570 is a much different round. And a 4570 could stop a truck going down the road. Like it is a massive round. It's the main caliber for bear guides in Alaska to drop a right. grizzly bear that's charging from you know 20 yards away. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a crazy round with a lot of energy. So we cast some pieces, we set them up. Brandon Browning was here and we're talking about guns like guys from the South do. And I was like, hey, do you want to see this 4570? Absolutely. So I get it out and I was like, hey, do you want to shoot it? He's like, yes, I do. Okay. What do you want to shoot? Let's shoot the concrete. So we set up the concrete and we shot five rounds of 4570 at two different pieces, one with PVA fibers, one with glass fibers. Mm -hmm. And all rounds either pierced the concrete or the concrete stopped the round, which was Yeah, that was, that was pretty mind-blowing right there, yeah. But it did not fracture the concrete. It didn't break. It didn't crack. Mm-mm. And again, we, what we need to do is we need to do a side-by-side comparison. We do that with our mix, Maker Mix, and we do that with Sackcrete or Quickcrete, and we show people that maybe don't understand the tremendous strength and durability of Maker Mix, what, what that looks like. Because if we shot just traditional... 5,000 PSI concrete, even if we put fiber in it, because the fiber is not what's really, you know, giving it the strength. If we shot it, even with fiber in it, it would shatter, again, into an infinite number of pieces, whereas 
make or mix, nothing. Just pierced a hole or it stopped around completely. Yeah, that was fun. It, when, and when yeah, I say fun, fun, yeah, to see that was uh, not something I was expecting either, quite frankly. But, you know, when I can't remember the last time I just, you know, picked up a 4570 and decided to shoot it at my concrete. Yeah. <laughs> well, anytime, anytime you pick up a 4570, it's a good day because it's such a fun gun. I don't know how our listeners feel about guns. I have a feeling that most of them like guns. As far as my gun collection goes of uh, rifles and whatnot, that's my favorite gun out of all of them. I just love that gun. It's so iconic and it's such a great round. And, you know, if I was only going to have one gun to go to Alaska with, it would be the 4570. Well, it was a pretty gun. I like the lever action and the whole nine yards. It was, it's a very nice looking piece of equipment. How about that? I agree. I agree. So that was a good time. Just recap what we did. The first two days were my class and that's furniture design and fabrication. And then the next two days were Dusty Cree. And then the last two days were John Schuler upright casting. Mm-hmm. But with my two days, you know, I didn't spend a whole lot of time in the morning on discussion. We got straight to design and fabrication. And I'm glad we did because we spent the whole day Monday and a good part of the day Tuesday building and then subsequently casting the pieces. The pieces, again, were insane. We didn't yeah, have one nice. failure. Yeah, we didn't have one failure, which normally we do. Normally, And that's part of the process. I don't necessarily step in and stop it from happening because we learn through failure. So it's good to learn, see when yeah. a form, yeah, when a form falls apart because of hydraulic pressure. Hey, guys, that's why we don't do it that way. That's why, you know, that's why we do this and that and whatnot. I normally see at least one form fail, not come out. This class, all the pieces came out. But not only that, in every class up until now that we did the furniture design, which has only been three or four total, we're using a legacy product, a previous product from a different manufacturer. And that product, when you pour an SEC GFRC mix into a form, it always traps air. Just the process of pouring it into the form as it rolls down the sides, it traps air. And that's seen in the final product. When we pull the forms off, you see the air pockets, but whatever, you know, it's concrete, so you don't sweat it. So I was explaining that to the attendees, especially because these are very narrow forms they built in some sections that the concrete was getting trapped as it was flowing down. I said, you know, we're going to have air in here. And we didn't vibrate the pieces because Mm. they were melamine forms, so they were, they were very simple forms in the sense of not a whole lot of reinforcement, narrow sections. And I was explaining to everybody, listen, I just want to set this expectation. When we pull the forms off, we're going to see air pockets here because as the concrete flows in, it traps air. Everybody's like, yeah, got it. Cool. Yeah. Next day, we open up the forms. And there's flawless. Clean. Not yeah. a pinhole. Not a pinhole in my mind was blown because yeah. I've spent, no joke, in the last, I don't know how many years, working on injection casting concrete, where we focus on getting the concrete into the bottom of a form and filling the form up from the bottom, just so we don't get air pockets, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I have all this money and a pump equipment and hoses and all these different things to do what Maker Mix did on its own with no vibration and pouring it from the top. And we ended up with- And just pouring it with, um, yeah, the scoopers. It, the cleanest concrete I've seen in my life, and it blew my mind because I personally have not done any projects that were narrow like that and that tall. I haven't done anything with Maker Mix like that. Everything I've been doing has been countertops or thing, you know, chairs and things like that, but nothing like this. And so when it came out, even I was surprised at it's just a, a whole level of quality that I've never, ever seen in my life. And even when I did injection casting – which, like I said, it takes a lot of money and equipment and then a lot of money in building a form and then cleaning the pumps is a pain in the butt and everything that goes with that. But even with all that, they didn't come out as clean as the pieces that the attendees did with Maker Mix just essentially dumped in with even yeah. no regard to how it went into the form. There's four or five people pouring into a form at one time. They weren't pouring from one side and letting it slowly fill up. Nope. None of that. It was yeah. just like all hands on deck. Let's dump it all in at once. Yeah. So, and then anybody wants to run to Instagram or whatever the case and look, what I really like about it is at the end of it, the choices, I'm going to say that 
at least the styles, but the choices and how they were designed and it, I know it was all part of the process, but what I loved at the end when it finally all came together was just how amazingly photogenic <laughs> everything was. It was yeah. really cool. Yeah. Well, they're striking designs, really striking designs. You know, we don't, in the class I teach furniture design, I don't design the pieces. The class designs the pieces. Yeah. And what's amazing is we broke into separate groups, separated from each other, and two of the teams came up with very similar pieces, which was insane because yeah. they, you know, they were not sitting close to each other. They weren't, you know, picking up from each other, but they kind of arrived at the same, same end destination, which was interesting. But it was a, a lot of fun and super psyched by it, super psyched with how good the class did. So that was my class. Now, Dusty's not on here to talk about Dusty Creep, but I can tell you from everybody that I spoke with, they were blown away with Dusty's class. You know, he came yeah, and he was excited he to does. show some updated ways in his casting methods based on the, his, the new materials and the things that he's using. So that was fun. Yeah. So he, uh, he did his class. They made another one of the Arrowhead uh, coffee tables. I guess the one he made before, he's had multiple people try to buy it from him. It's at his shop. So he made this one as his desk for his, his new shop in Tennessee. But he made one of those. They made a sink. They made a few different things. Again, everybody in the workshop, I, I kind of sat down and talked to people. and Everybody was like, oh, my God, it was insane. And then Alicia Dietz, which she was in the class. We did a St. Jude raffle a while back to where we all the, all the proceeds went to St. Jude, and we raffled off a ticket to the workshop. Well, Alicia won that. So she was in this class because she she was in that St. Jude raffle. But anyways, she's now at Dusty's studio this week working with oh, Dusty. Really? Yeah, I just saw I, I didn't even know she went, but I saw it on his Instagram last night that she's over there helping him in Tennessee. That brings us to John's class. You want to talk about your class? My class, yeah. So again, same materials. It was I had a good time doing it, showing the different steps, different methods for creating different finishes. It was nice to put tools in people's hands in ways. I, what I really love is when I do a workshop and there was one of the attendees there who, what do you, I think he said he was what, third or fourth generation flat work? Yeah, at least. I think. Yeah. Fourth, and so fifth. I really. I mean, it was way back. Yeah. I love it when those guys show up because they have a lot of preconceived notions compared to the years of experience they have with tooling and, you know, doing driveways and, and whatever we're talking about, you know, internal slabs and so forth and so on to then just, just watch them feel like beginners again, when you put them into a mix that's casted so differently, the, all of a sudden the mags and the steels, they just, they don't work the way you're used to them working and it makes it a lot of fun. So to, to walk through those steps, which oftentimes is nowhere near the steps they're used to, to everybody else, it's completely new to them. So, I mean, th so that's nice. It's, it's, I think it's easier for them because they don't have habits that need to be broken and new ideas that have to be focused on. And then there was, yeah, there was two guys, right? I forget the other guy's name. One was Pettibone. Yeah. And I can't remember. Uh, Austin Pettibone. Such a great name. That's like a, a is, character right. in a movie, Austin Pettibone. And then, yeah, the other guy, I can't think of his name either, but he was super talented at finishing because you had all these different pieces set up and they were going through the steps of using the mag and different stuff. But I walked by his lab and it was dead flat, laser flat, yeah. which was incredible because there's always, you know, some waves in it, which is part of the process right. anyways. Part of the process. But his yeah. was, yeah, his was just incredibly flat. By the way, do you keep saying casted with an ED, casted? No, cast. Uh, well, yeah. that's the correct I term. probably do I add the ED. I don't know. Dude, again, you, stop I, you, you don't understand my language. That's the problem. Yeah, but I mean, we're, we're, we're trying to project ourselves as professionals here. We can't be saying casted or cement countertops. We can't say cement, cement countertops. Well, there's cement in it. Yeah. <laughs> there's cement in it. Who was I just talking uh, to? I just read someone who was calling it a, you know, micro cement toppings. And like, no, the reality is it's still a concrete. I mean, yeah, cement's in it, but it all depends on how they casted it. Oh, Jesus. 
Dude, I'm sitting over here. I, I mute my microphone when you're talking so you don't hear me, you know, taking drinks of coffee and whatnot. But when you're sitting here saying casted, like my head is exploding. You should see me. We should video these. <laughs> That's good. That's yeah, good. It's good it's like uh that's my accent. I'm just gonna go with that. <laughs> that's part of my accent. <laughs> uh, I love it. Okay, so continue. So they they upright cast to pieces, new techniques for everybody, including fourth or fifth generation finishers. They right. learned new processes. And then yeah. the final products came out great. Although we yeah, did learn, I think we should share this. We did learn a lesson. Do you want to tell people what the lesson was? Well, we actually learned two lessons, but the number one lesson is based on time and everything that was going on, we covered, you know, every, anybody who's talked to me, read anything out there and listened to the podcast, you know, heat curing or what I call low ambient steam curing is a big part of making the concrete efficient from start to finish. And in this case, we covered things up early and what ended up happening is the coil marks from the heat blanket transferred through, leaving, I don't know, I'm going to call it a snake-like pattern in the pieces. Update that. We need to um, put a little more, another layer or two of insulation. Because, again, this is not about heating the concrete. It's about keeping the insulation around it warm so that the concrete does not cure, you know, cool down. The other lesson learned is this stupid mix that we designed is so efficient with color that I put a high pigment load in it and they were so dark that although the details were there and looked amazing, they weren't, I, I'm going to say they weren't quite as three-dimensional because the color, these, this mix is so efficient with color it it makes everything so rich in color it's ridiculous well and when you say a high pigment load what are you talking 2% 3% what did you do no it just it was just 2% yeah i mean the so 2%, idea 2% yeah. in any other mix 2% would be on the extreme low end right. of color loading and 2% in this mix is on the high end Super high. Yeah. These, yeah. They were so dark. Yeah. Which don't get me wrong, was amazing based on that because it was blowing my mind. Like, holy crud, look at this stuff. Like we got a charcoal color out of these things. Uh, but that's not what that's not. Yeah. That's not what my intention was to create a charcoal color. So, well, you know, that was the second lesson learned is uh, next time I'm dialing that color back so that everything there, there's more contrast in what we're doing, but this whole thing was so rich in color. All the texture was there, all the things we worked on, but it was so rich in color that unless you knew what you were looking for, it, I, I'm just going to say it wasn't as in your face as I would have liked it to be. Well, the snake-like patterns, they're, they're still sitting outside my studio. We took them outside to photograph them. It's still in there. Every time I walk by them, I go, I'm a snake. I'm a slithery snake. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't know where you come up with this stuff, man. Cause that's Dude, not, you haven't seen that video? That's the best no. video on YouTube. Dude, do me a favor. Go to YouTube and put in, I'm a snake and see the video. You'll die. It's so good. I'm a snake. <laughs> and once you watch it, you're going to be saying that all the time. It's, yeah. uh, that's what you keep oh saying. And I was going to, I was supposed to keep singing that I'm an island boy. But, uh, I'm an island boy. Maybe at the next workshop, let's get everybody and we'll do our own video on that. We should. We'll get pool noodles. We'll put them in our hair. We'll get some yeah. gold cap teeth and draw awesome. some tattoos on our foreheads. Yeah, yeah. it'll be a good time. Yeah, we might as well help those guys, right? <laughs> yeah, they need it from us. I'm sure yeah. we could really push them over the edge. Spread <laughs> <Yeah>. awareness. Exactly. <laughs> that was your class, which was a success, a great success. And as far as the heat coils go, it's good, again, when those things happen, because we never have had that happen yet. And we've no. used the heat blankets before. We turned them up higher than normal. Right. Normally you do them on a, on a lower setting. You turn them Super up high. Super low setting, yeah. And, you know, the lesson is just double up the blanket between the piece and the heat blanket and problem solved. So right. not a big deal. But it's good that happens in front of a class because we can talk about it. Hey, 
you know, now you guys saw it and I took photos of it so people can see it in the next class. This is what happens when it's too hot, too close to the concrete. Well, I think doing that, I mean, even sometimes on purpose, forcing a failure, because in a, in a workshop setting, if everything goes flawlessly, I don't think you learn as much because it's when you go home and you try to implement what you think you just learned. And then all of a sudden something happens that didn't happen at the workshop as an exact, here's an example. One of the attendees was sealing with the, you know, the new ICT sealers and he wasn't thinking in anything. We've already had the conversation about don't contaminate the sealers and the idea that, you know, think of the sealer as part A, anything that comes into the uh, contact with the concrete, concrete is the catalyst. So you do not want any of that material being from the concrete back into the fresh sealer. And without even thinking about it, one of the guys did just that, right? <laughs> do you remember that? And you know, we pointed it out right then and there to say, hey, and it's like, oh, that's right. So, you know, having failures like that is to learn in that situation rather than going home and having extreme failure. I think it, yeah. it, it helps the learning process. It does. And I think you're also hyper aware, more so than you ever have been, about cross-contamination due to what we found out over the last several months of guys right. saving sealer that they'd applied to concrete, they're putting it back in a bottle or never cleaning out their applicator right. and having problems. And it's like, oh, well, we didn't know anybody was doing that. Like that. No, I never, I, think, I never thought to explain it from that point of view. Right. Which is easy yeah, for so, me to say. It's my technology. So, you know, I often take for granted uh, people understand what I'm talking about. But, you know, well, there you go. Well, but th what confused me is, it's not my technology, it's your technology, but I've never once seen you do that or heard you say to do that. So I never assumed that that was something I should do. So I never did it. I always cleaned my applicator right. between applications. I never saved sealer. Just I'd, you know, pour it down the drain or wipe it off onto the floor if it's on the concrete. Right. And so it was surprising to me because, again, I was like, where did anybody ever hear John say to do this? Never, right. ever. Never. In all these mm -hmm. years has that been part of the process. So it was, it was a little bit surprised to me, but that being said, whatever, glad to get ahead of it. But I think in this class, especially this class, you were super hyper aware. So if they put the applicator down, right. face down on the table, you're like, there you right. go. There's there you dust go. on the table. You just contaminated that. It was good. It was good to see. And people should be diligent when it comes to sealer because that's where I would say 99.9% .9 of any failure with ICT is cross-contamination, people doing exactly that, not cleaning their applicator, essentially putting catalyzed product on the concrete so it's right. not going to react properly. Or, so, you know, catalyzing product unaware and then pouring catalyzed product back into it and then storing that on the shelf and then yeah. trying to use it after, you know, the second or project or whatever, realizing that, you know, that now we're using the word catalyzed, but really contaminated slash catalyzed material is no longer valuable anymore. I think catalyzed is the correct word, not contaminated, because that's what it's doing. It's, it's reacting with the with the ICT and catalyzing it. That's no, that exactly is what, what it is. Yeah. yeah. So it's started that reaction. And unfortunately, once that happens, it is what it is. You can't reverse it. So no. So no, it is a catalyzation. Just, yeah, you just shortened all its shelf life and you know, to a matter of days. So once yeah. it sits on your shelf like that, and and again, I'm gonna sound like a jerk for a second, but I don't understand it because from a materials point of view, to try to save what you just, you're saving pennies when it comes to this material. So I, I never quite understood. There only happened a couple guys who were like, well, yeah, you know, I mean, I was trying to save money. Well, say you saved like four cents. I don't, I don't know because you just got done, although they didn't know this, you just got done wasting $300 in sealer trying to save five cents in yeah. what's left in the sponge. Yeah. yeah. What was left in the sponge or what was left in the, you know, applicator. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. So, but I get it. I, I'm going to say I get it and it doesn't matter. So I'm trying to be, yes, hyper aware at this moment uh, because I had no idea that was happening. So that was your class. And then yeah. beyond that, like we said, we did the, 
uh, fire pit one night. When I say fire pit, essentially I, I caught entire trees on fire. It was, you know, it was like that scene in, um, uh, what's that movie? Castaway. When he's like, I made fire. Oh, yeah, it was I like made a fire, huge yeah. fire. Yeah, it was like that. Huge yeah, that fire. Yeah. It, you know, if you got too close, your face would melt. It was such a big fire. But it was a lot of fun just having everybody hang out there. If anybody gets on TikTok, I know all, all the concrete guys are big on TikTok. It's uh, what all the cool kids are doing. But if you get on TikTok, find me Hard Goods Co. C-O, Hard Goods Co. is my name on TikTok. But you'll see some videos where you'll see some little snippets of uh, everybody kind of having a good time. And I think that's really what not sets yeah, our class important. apart, but it does set our class apart in a sense of yeah. we we make it an experience beyond Agreed. just the knowledge. Yeah, so yeah. it's a lot of fun. I love people coming to learn. There's no question about that. And I think you'll agree with me for the, let's let's say, whatever, eight to 10 hours, sometimes it goes later, you know, when you're that focused on the learning aspect of it, and then everybody just packs up and, pew, you know, takes off. Making, you know, in, in creating the memories and the experience of everything it's very important in my opinion. And yeah. we'll, you know, we'll continue to work on all that kind of stuff and, and create both a workshop atmosphere as well, as well as a memorable experience atmosphere. Yeah. Well, I think the next class, I have some ideas I'm going to run by you, but I think the next class we're going to have those things kind of scheduled out in advance and we'll do a lot of fun stuff in the evenings and we'll do some fun stuff with say target practice perhaps yeah. where we do some, uh, some very rudimentary testing, so to speak. So yeah. materials test. Well, you got to have a wind down process, you know, I mean, that's part of, we, we talk about the community part of this and that's part of it. People getting to know each other, you know, much deeper than just, Hey, for those eight hours, while your hands are in concrete placing and tooling and forming. And I mean, it's, it's, it's part of the experience. There's no question. Hey, it's something that I don't know if we want to talk about it quite yet, but I think it's not a bad time is Kodiak pro in the UK. And I've received some emails, actually quite a few emails as of late asking is Kodiak pro available in the UK. I've received several emails from people wanting to become distributors uh, we're in the process right now of Da Vinci Concrete. Martin Haddock is working on getting stock over there, and right. he's going to be a stocking dealer of Kodiak Pro products, specifically Radmix and TBP and Sealer, ICT Sealer. Right. But it seems like there's a lot of demand. So if you're interested in Kodiak Pro products, you're in the UK, or if you're if you're in Europe and you want to get products from the UK, hit up Martin Haddock at Da Vinci. Let him know that you're interested. Because, like I said, he's in the process right now of getting everything set up to ship across to the UK. He might need to increase that order if there's, you know, a bunch of companies saying, hey, I want to get a pallet or half pallet of material. So anyways, I just thought I'd throw that out there because I've received so many different emails. It's the same. Yeah, I get a lot of those guys hitting me. What they're really excited about or, on, you know, on several notes. But one of the exciting thing is two of the guys that are over there waiting for the materials to come to Martin's place and are very excited. I think Martin's talking about having, I guess, his own version of a launch party or a workshop, something like that in January. But they're really excited about getting these materials over there because there are some UHPC type mixes available in the UK. And I know two individuals who have used them that are waiting for the for the um, maker mix slash rad mix materials to get over there because those other materials are, and I know we've talked about this many times, but they are not designed for our use. So they're very difficult to mix. Uh, certainly they're strong, but at the end of the day, what they have to go through to try to use these other materials that have, you know, pre-blended plasticizers so they can only be used one way it's the versatility that these that these other individuals are extremely excited about because they do like the performance of UHPCs, but they are absolutely they, I mean they did they just can't use them so they're they're really excited yeah. about that the versatility. Well, it's exciting. I can't wait to to get them over to him and and see what happens in the UK. There seems to be a lot of talent over there, a lot of really innovative 
concrete craftspeople doing awesome stuff. So to get these materials in their hands and see what they make, I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I am too. Yeah. And then hopefully after all the COVID stuff, we're going to head that direction. Same with Australia at some point. We got to get back down there. Yeah. Well, great. So, Should we get Rob down? on the phone? I like Rob. I, I mean, talking to him, I know he's got the same thing, years and years of experience in the construction. So, you know, it'd be interesting to hear. I didn't go through his background when I talked to him at the workshop, but he was definitely focused on so many of the challenges that he deals with, you know, being in Alaska. <laughs> so that'd be, a, that'd be a good conversation to talk to Rob. Absolutely. All right. Let's get him on the phone. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> So Rob, tell us about you, where you're located, and what you do. I'm Rob Wired. I started uh, uh, concrete, doing concrete as a, a laborer in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I was pouring, forming and pouring uh, 20, 30 yard slabs for residential houses. Eventually that led to pouring custom slabs that we were coloring and stamping in a saltillo tile shape and building solar adobe houses on top of those and so i kind of at that point i got interested in uh, thermal mass and storage of heat and all that sort of thing and of course uh concrete fit right into that so fast forward uh, i moved to alaska in 1984 and i was doing some concrete up here uh concrete Back in 1984, was $160 a yard in Homer, and we just had a what? tiny little back plant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in 1984 dollars. What is it today? Like a thousand dollars a yard? No, actually, I think it's like around a, a hundred and forty-five or so. Crazy. So it went down. One small batch plant, not very reliable gravel area, and of course they've dug into some more gravel, but we've got two or three batch plants around now, so price has gone down. But I really wasn't interested in continuing to pour slabs so much. Um, I got out of that and I, I, I've had my contractor's license uh, since 98. And uh, so I was doing all phases of construction along with a fishing career. I kept my hand in the business and about uh, 2005, I started playing with, uh, you know, casting sinks and countertops and just playing around more just for my own stuff. A lot of, a lot of pieces went into the bone pile. And then I discovered Buddy Rhodes, and that was probably about 12 years ago. And I started selling pieces, continued with that until I started doing my own, you know, doing admix so that I could just use local local sands and cements because it kind of prohibitive to ship a lot of things up here. I just saw a meme that we're the fifth largest air cargo in the world and uh, we can't ever get anything shipped up here. So it's just a through spot. You've been doing concrete sinks and countertops for a good while. You just came, we just did a class last week and you were here at the Pinnacle Concrete Camp. Why did you come to a class? Uh, you know, I've taken my concrete and the materials that I was using pretty much as far as they could go for what I was doing. I've been, um, you know, I'm doing casting sinks and with drain boards and, and, you know, just perfect finishes. I used to always grind. I was really into doing a lot of different colored aggregates and just plant, you know, standard operating procedure where you flip them out and grind them down and slurry and grind and slurry and grind. And um, once I started doing the admix and casting, you know, pretty much perfect surfaces, I kind of found that a lot of my customers really wanted the concrete look. And I didn't know how to do a GFRC and still come up with textured surfaces or air pockets or uh, anything other than just these perfect casts. And so I was kind of losing enthusiasm just because I couldn't achieve what I was trying to do 
my boneyard is huge and the cost of shipping things up here is high. So it was getting cost prohibitive to keep experimenting and not really getting any results. Uh, I was pretty disappointed with the sealers I was using. I tapped in with John. I think I saw him through Facebook. Just started talking with him a little bit. He sent some sealers, uh, you know, just using his sealers. It was super inspiring because it was new, new technology, cutting edge stuff. And I became enthusiastic again. And I kind of went down that rabbit hole and followed John to uh, Gore Design. And as soon as I saw you guys were offering classes, I jumped on it. Cool. So you're doing, yeah, I mean, you're going through a lot of the phases many of us have, meaning you were hitting some burnout, burnout based on materials. One of your big ones is clearly getting materials up to Homer, Alaska. What's that do for your price points? I mean, that's a whole different conversation, but uh, how are you moving things up there? And I don't mean how, but I mean, how's business up in that area? Well, uh, Homer is about 6,000 people or so and about a 25-mile radius. And so the customer base isn't huge, but there is definitely interest. And I'm busy as I want to be. I've got two full-time guys, um, one full-time just on the concrete with me. You know, shipping, I guess the reason I got into the AdMix was just because I could use, I could locally source the, the cement and... Uh, the, the local sand, gravel, all that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, shipping shipping to Homer, Alaska is a lot. We don't even have white cement down here. I have to drive 220 miles north to Anchorage to pick up white cement, which is around 65 bucks a bag. You know, it's it's a day and a half or so to run up there, or a couple hundred bucks every time I ship. Uh, you know, a batch of concrete down to or cement down to me. Uh, yeah, the price point is pretty high. And, you know, out of 6,000 people in the whole place, out of that, my customer base is not huge. So um, I had to be really competitive with local granite and marble and solid surface type things. So I wasn't really making a lot of money at it. I mean, we're getting by, but I'm doing other jobs to support my concrete habit. You were competing with granite and marble. I kind of, I'm not saying that's that's wrong, but I would kind of say if that's what's happening, and it happens to a lot of guys, it's actually happened to me, I'm not doing a good job selling concrete because ultimately anybody that wants concrete would never want granite or marble. They want concrete. It's not a option on checkbox of like this, this, this. It's like, I have to have that. So was that just people were unaware of concrete up there and they were, you know, just like, like, oh, well, I can get granite or I can get this. I don't really care which one, whichever one's cheaper. Was that what was going on? Or why weren't people seeking out concrete for what it was? What do you think? Yeah, totally. It was uh, people are just not aware of it. And it's been growing steadily. I've been putting out uh, good product here and uh, we're busy, you know, and that's that's just been happening in the last year and a half, two years where we have projects waiting. Um, a lot of it too was uh, availability of installers and to get anybody to uh, come install, they pretty much have to come down from uh, the next the next town up is Soldatna, Kenai area, and that's 75 miles away. So they were reluctant to come down and, and install. So, and a lot of it too was, um, you know, my learning curve. I, I, don't, I wasn't really confident in my price point. And um, I think that's where I was starting to burn out. You know, it was like I needed to get on top of that and, um, you know, the product that I was putting out and be confident that this was worth X amount of square foot and hold that line. And, sure. Uh, yeah. Sure. So, but I've done it. You know, I am right now at the point where I can get the price that I, that I need it to be. And I'm playing, uh, you know, I'm playing around with what that price point is as far as material and handling. I mean, a sheet of melamine up here is probably around $75 now for a three-quarter inch sheet. It's so, probably about the same here, honestly. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you know, those sorts of things are actually starting to be a little more uh, equal to what you guys pay in lower 48. You know, I mean, we can, if I, if I order and 
receive on a pallet scale size, which, you know, my business, I believe, is now ready to move into, um, I can be competitive. I haven't had this happen in a long, long time. But yesterday, I was in my shop cleaning up from the class. It was like, you know, the day after the big party type thing. There's stuff everywhere. But anyways, I'm here cleaning, mopping, sweeping, knock at the door. I go out there. And it was a lady from down the street, and she wanted to know if I could do concrete countertops for her Airbnb remodel. And I said, yeah, for sure. And so she comes in. I show her some samples. She asked, what's this going to cost? Do you have an estimate? And I said, yeah, you know, it's between 100 to 150 a square foot, depending on what color you go with and, you know, details. But that's, that's the average. And she's like, oh, well, then maybe I won't do this. I said, okay. And, and she's like, yeah, I got a price for granite, and it was 27 a square foot. And I said, yeah, no, it's just, you know, my, my cost of materials is going to exceed that. I have to make a profit. And I told her, I said, I've been, I've been over a hundred dollars for the last 20 years. That's my price point. And so we talked for a little bit longer and, you know, she's really friendly. And then she, she brought it up one more time. She said, is there any way to get it down closer to 27? I said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. No. I mean, realistically, it's going to be 135 to 150. 100 a square foot would be you're my best friend. I'm doing the most simple slab in the world. There's nothing complex to it. There's no knockout. It's just I form up a rectangle and I pour it in. There you go. If I got to go out and do a template, and I told her I don't do installation either. She'd have to sub that out. If I go out and do a template and, and form it up and do the whole thing, it's going to be 135, 150. And that's totally reasonable, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I started off when I was doing the Buddy Roads, I was around 60 65 bucks a, a square and um lately i've been up around 80 85 and then adding on from there for sinks or drain boards or cutouts or templating or you know of course the installs were an hourly thing but um yeah i'm you know where i'm at now is with the products you know after what i saw with the maker mix and um you know the new techniques i've got uh, yeah, I'm not going to be less than 100 anymore. I don't think any of us, you, you, I don't care who you talk to and how long you've been in this, I call it being in the game. We've all run through that. And ultimately, I think, you know, even at the workshop, right, Dusty has some, <laughs> he tells the story better than any of us, I think, because <clears throat> the rest of us just essentially talk about the evolution that got us here. But uh, you touched on a huge part of it, though. I mean, material cost is obviously part of it. And if you've been on the group page, and I even shot you a text talking about this, but run that exercise. Everybody should run the exercise to at least find out where their foundation is based on material. I mean, and I know that's just a material cost, but that has to be qualified before you do anything, in my opinion. But then beyond that, is exactly what you're talking. And, and this goes universal for all of us. And that is developing the confidence in what you're doing. And until any of us really feel that confidence, unfortunately, we question our worth. Meaning, and that boils down to what are we charging? Because that's the only way for us to qualify what we're worth, which means we're discounting everything to begin with, almost like we're penalizing ourselves in a way and we do and, it based on cost and we're setting the client's expectations by doing that yeah, yeah that's that's when it comes full circle as i remember there was a time i think i've said this many times but i'm thinking early on i'll, I'll never forget some of these clients i dealt with and they'd go in and we talk about whatever project they wanted done and these are people with money and part of the conversation would be whatever deal i gave them you know, like, hey, you know, I'm going to really show this to a lot of people that come to my home, other people with money. This is going to be amazing. My confidence at that time wasn't high enough. So I actually took on a couple of those thinking like, hey, this is really going to get me off the ground. And unfortunately, what ended up happening is other people would call me with that, like, well, you gave Joe this price. So, you know, we thought we were going to get that price too. And I found out pretty quickly that, yeah, giving Joe the amazing discount, which he was going to spread to his friends, what he really bragged about is 
the price that he got from everybody. So it took me a while. I mean, I know this, we all go through it. It took you a while to build the confidence to be like, yeah, no, that's not happening. This is what I need. Meaning this is what it takes to live my lifestyle, pay my bills and, and put something handmade amazing into your home. So no, it's not worth me coming in to do that at that price point. And we all go through it. You know, well, Dusty in this last class, he talked about something he does when he gets a call, he sets a really high price point. What in negotiations, they call them anchor, which is just, uh, you're setting their expectation at a certain level and you can come down from it, but he throws out a really high anchor. I don't know what he said, but it was like 500 lineal foot for countertops or something like that. Yeah. He was saying that five or 600. Yeah. A lineal foot. And he just says, how long is your countertop? 40 feet. Uh, that would be, you know, whatever, $20,000. And they're like, okay. And he's like, you know, if that works and we can take uh, you know, a closer yeah, look at it, if not, I get it. Yeah. But he's throwing that anchor at them where it sets, it bends the reality to this is where we're going to be. And then he can always say, oh yeah, I did the calcs and it came down to 16,000. So you guys save some money, you know? I think that's a smart thing that he's doing. I agree. And, you know, I think when you're you're dealing with a, you know, customer base that, that supports that kind of, um, really it's artwork at that point, you know, our craft, um, that, that you can be paid for what it is you're doing, you know, creating this unique piece that's going to last forever. And, <clears throat> and you, you know, you're going to work with the client until they absolutely love it. You know, they're going to love it. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't have a problem at this point in my career in doing just exactly that. And, we don't generally have monster houses, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so, you know, majority of my kitchens, maybe 30 square feet to 40 square feet. So they're not huge, but um, this, you know, they can definitely support a higher price. My, my price point would definitely be higher. And I think that's a good strategy, you know, starting right off the bat with the, you know, this is the reality of the price and are you still interested? I haven't been to Homer. Do you have, I mean, from your point of view, do you have competitors in your area that are also doing this kind of work or are you the only guy? I'm the only guy. Okay. Well, you're like the ready mix factory charging 60 bucks, 160 bucks a yard, man. (laughs) Well, that's what I'm thinking. Right. And, and so (laughs) even though your kitchens and I could, I guess I can, come that in my head based on where you're at gets cold during certain times of the year. I mean, I probably want to, wouldn't want a huge house that I'm trying to heat. I don't know. I mean, it's handmade things, a fairly common conversation in people who either have vacation homes or live there full time in Homer, Alaska. Well, you know, I mean, it's definitely the, the market ticked up. I mean, this year, you know, I think it's, Partly COVID. I don't know. People wanting to escape to the countryside, but we had 80 building permits. That's like 10 times what we've ever had in the past. Um, So everybody is just swamped with work. So I think, you know, a high percentage of that is just that people that are selling out of California and they're selling their multi-million dollar house and they come up here and relatively speaking, it's, it's fairly inexpensive. So they get into a house for say 300 and they can afford some nice stuff in this smaller, you know, 2,000 square foot house. And I am definitely seeing more of that. Um, right. Well, and I'm just great. trying to think of how people know me in this area. Price point actually doesn't even come up as part of the conversation anymore. I mean, it used to, let's say, 10 or 12 years ago. But now I am brought in, and I know we discussed this at the workshop, I am brought in for that reason and that reason alone, meaning it's not even about concrete, actually. It's it's about finishes and about something custom and handmade. And it's a product taking outside of the boundaries of other materials available. Because clearly I have other companies around here, like anywhere else, that are doing slabs, you know, cutting on CNC machines and whatever the case may be. But I still get plenty of work. But that work is because the conversation about what I do is, you know, handmade, hand hewn, you know, however that's looked at from a marketing point of view. And I'm just kind of wondering if, if that's ever a, an approach 
that you've tried to take based on your materials rather than just being, you know, one of 10 choices on a utilitarian surface? Well, yeah, you know, and I think that's why I was feeling inspired is just that. I mean, uh, like I've been asked to do a soaking tub. Price never came up. They just want it. I asked about color. You know, that's another thing. They always just say, oh, do it. You know, leave it up to me, which I appreciate it. But it's definitely moving out of just the, uh, you know, delivering a, a piece of concrete to more into the artistic side of it. And, um, you know, cost cost can support that. Yeah, I guess I that's what I'm thinking about. Like if any, this, this, if that conversation ever comes up, whomever, wherever, you know, a restaurant, a bar or whatever, a neighbor's house, a dinner, it's like your name, I guess, you know, think of it like a, a, a someone painting. They didn't just hire a, a painter when they wanted a Picasso. You know what I mean? Like, hey, no, 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 no. We got to get Picasso for this one. Like how in your area do you become the guy? You know, that that is the only person, the only name that comes up for whatever it is. And, you know, I don't know if this is even possible, but that becomes part of the aura, if you will, about who you are and what you do, not just the materials you're using. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and that's kind of, you know, the foundation of what I've been doing for the last 10 years is just, you know, really putting out quality product. And I don't advertise at all. I've got two kitchens waiting, a couple of bathrooms, uh, a soaking tub, I mean, a couple of shower pans. I mean, I've got plenty of work and I don't advertise. Um, majority of the people now, you know, they don't ask for the price. They just ask when I can get it done. No, that's awesome. So what, and, what other challenges do you face in Alaska? You know, well, obviously being remote, but weather, like how does all that play into it? It does, you know, I mean, it was eye-opening to, uh, you know, be exposed to, you know, John's John's philosophy about curing and adding heat, and heat up here is a big deal. Uh, we're going to be down to about four and a half hours of light here pretty soon, solstice, I think it's December 22nd, um, you know, out of that four and a half hours of light, there's really no solar gain whatsoever, so my shop is totally... Uh, dependent on natural gas. Um, you know, I'm kind of looking at maybe going to infrared rather than air. Um, but heat up here is a big issue. And keeping that shop, I've got a 1200 square foot shop, keeping that heated for eight months, actually more like 10 months, um, definitely bumps up that price point. Um, so I've, you know, in the past, uh, we cover it real well and that sort of thing, but I'd have an electric heater underneath the table just to keep things fairly, fairly stable. Um, so, you know, not only was it natural gas, it was electric heat as well. So, so heat's a big deal. I upped my game with an insulated garage door, um, added heat, insulated the slab, you know, just all these little things like that, that, that help. But, um, you know, I think curing with an electric blanket is definitely my next move. Oh, no question. I mean, over the years, just like you, I mean, although I certainly, I have no idea what it's like to only have four hours of light during a certain period of the year. I think that would drive me bananas myself, but I do not keep my shop heated during the winter months. We don't get that cold, but even if we th saw, you know, 30, 35 degrees Fahrenheit, my shop will see 30 to 35 degrees Fahrenheit and blankets, meaning like we should, the sunbeam kind of blankets or the, there's another company. I'll have to get you the name. I don't, I think it's called actually concrete cure, like concrete curing blankets. They're the same. They're very affordable. They make the guy who makes them, uh, he makes them to size to, to whatever somebody's doing. But where I was going with it, that's the only thing that I found efficient. It wasn't gas. Now we have propane here. It wasn't infrared heaters. It wasn't none of that stuff. It was using the blanket approach and the low ambient steam approach to the concrete that made all the difference, both from curing and for sealing during the winter months. What do you think yeah. about doing the Ala Linetsky, you know, heated table with, uh, you know, the 
either ice wire, the ice are in it or um, just radiant floor heating. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think it's all along the same lines. I guess what I'm saying is in this case, whether the heat's above or the heat's below. Now, if the heat's below, you still want to insulate and cover everything. But the reality is we are, in this case, you're just dealing with the casted surfaces, not trying to heat 1,200 or 3,000 square foot of shop space. You're actually isolating the heat where you want it, which is the concrete. I mean, yeah. that's what we're trying to cure. That's what we're trying to create the crystalline structure out of. That's where we're trying to get, you know, as much hydration to happen in a small window period of time. Just, and the question came up at the workshop, so I'll answer this. I think, I don't remember who asked it, Rob, but just that. Oh, that's right. It was the gal in Panama. It was like, well, you know, it's, it's 100 degrees where I'm at, but that's, even if you heated your shop to 100 degrees, that's not isolating the temperature around the concrete itself to create the hydration spikes that are the hydration plateau really in a given period of time that you're trying to achieve. So whether that's done in the table itself or on top by using things like heat blankets and insulation, you know, all of these choices in my opinion are much better. Yeah, I would agree. I, I, uh, you know, isolating that heat for me makes all the sense in the world. Uh, I have a skirt around my table. I cast on melamine, but I have a skirt around the table. And then my blankets, I keep the ambient air temperature around 70 and then heat underneath. But, um, you know, I'm I'm definitely going to add the, the blankets to the mix and more just regular shipping blankets, the insulation, um, and let it cure longer which isn't an issue if the, the heat is more isolated. I'm not trying to heat my shop up to, you know, 100 degrees and it's 30, right. you know, 30 below outside. Not that it gets that cold here uh, where I live in Homer, but we're, you know, we're in the high 20s, low 30s all, you know, all winter pretty much. So, um, yeah, it makes sense to me. Hey, just to give you a heads up, I have a Zoom preschool date in about eight minutes. I got to hop off here to go do that. But what do, what do you want to talk about, Rob, before we get off here? Is there a topic that's of interest to you that you want to discuss? You know, I mean, I'm just moving out into my own exploration here. I've done some rubber molding, um, you know, going more into the sculpture world with my concrete. I'm going to be, um, you know, really looking forward to using, using the Maker Mix. I'm working with John to figure out where that price point is and and you know where it makes sense to to you know maybe ground ship pallets rather than airship you know individual components of my concrete so i'm wanting to do bigger pieces and i'm sure i'll be picking your brain a little bit on that brandon and uh sealers as well john you know these are going to be underwater and and uh I, i i'm really psyched i've got a lot to look forward to and uh, I appreciate you guys being part of it. And your experience in the class. You know, we, we hit on it briefly, but as somebody that's been doing this for a long time, did you find, and this is sound like a, an infomercial, but be 100% honest, did you find your time well spent or are there things you wish we'd have covered that didn't cover or things we left out? You know, what? how did you feel about it? Oh, no, I'd have, I'd have camped out there for another week easy. <laughs> 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 I loved it. I mean, as soon as I left, I was just like, looking over my shoulder you know sad to be going i mean i just soaked up i mean i there's so much information there i'm just now kind of going back through notes and pictures and uh, just blown away with what you guys offered and and where it was thank you brandon for hosting that that you know i would never even been to arkansas and blew me away um you know as far as covering more material I look forward to your next class. I'm sure you guys are going to continue to expand, and and uh, I'll be back. Yeah, we have a class planned for the spring. It'll be, I'll be doing fabric forming most likely. I'll try to talk John into doing a sink class, upright cast sink class. It's been yeah, like I haven't done the sinks years. in a while. Yeah, it's been a long time. Cool. So maybe I do hope some it's new stuff in the springtime, Brandon. It's not. <laughs> I mean, okay. it's going to be warmer uh, than Alaska, but it's it can be volatile. It can be blizzard one week and then 70 degrees next week. 
it's insane. It's like Colorado weather. Yeah, again, I appreciate everything you and John and Dusty uh, contributed to my, my journey. And um, I look forward to working with all you guys in the future. Well, we still have, I have like four more minutes. What do you got, John? What do you want to add in here? I don't know. Other than it was a, it was a great time spent. I mean, I love the workshops. I love, I really enjoy showing people, you know, different techniques. Now in my, for what I do at this one, right. It was all about just different finishes and how to use hand tools in different ways and et cetera. So I, I just enjoy them. I, I enjoy meeting the people like in this case, Rob spending a week with you and learning where people come from and what direction you're trying to go and really what even brought you to the workshop and what you're trying to do with it. I enjoy it. That's what I like. And it was great spending, spending a week with you doing all that. And it was an amazing class. You know, me and John have talked about it since the class. And of all the classes we've taught, this group was probably the most chill, easygoing class we've ever had. Everybody was just amazing. It was a great time. Well, and everybody wanted to get in. I mean, I love I love people that the hands on there wasn't somebody hanging back, you know, just simply texting on their phone or something. So that makes it a lot of fun putting on a workshop when everybody's involved. Well, guys, I hate to run. Unfortunately, we had those technical difficulties at the beginning that consumed some time. But preschool yep. is calling my name. I got to jump over there. Rob, yeah, Rob, hang on. I'm gonna, I'll get in touch with you. Let's run some numbers back and forth. I think you just sent me a thing on your sands too. So. Let's run some numbers uh, with Radmix and stuff and, and see where you're at. Sounds great. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you, buddy, and I'm sure we'll see each other again soon. I look All forward right, Robert. To it. Good Thanks talking to you. Thanks.